And at this time, the children from kindergarten through sixth grade would be dismissed for children's church. And so as they go, I would invite you to open a Bible if you have one, if you're still remaining here in the sanctuary, to the book of Ephesians, to Ephesians chapter 2. As today we continue the series, we're coming towards the end of it. We have just a few more weeks left. And as I would share that, I want to let you know that next week we are in for a uh, great treat. Um, and that is because you're not going to hear from me. And everyone's like, whew, all right, good, get a little break from him there. But we're going to be hearing from Mara next week as she is going to be sharing during the message time. She's going to be sharing and reporting on her trip to Indonesia. And uh, so as uh, she spent that uh, almost month there, um, I know there's been a number of you who said, oh, how was Mara's trip? And I want to hear, well, next Sunday, you're going to get to hear. And so make sure that you are able to come. We'll have it live streamed, although there's going to be probably a couple places where if you're not able to make it, we'll have to kind of uh, just kind of silence it for a few minutes. And uh, she shares maybe a few uh, sensitive things, but we're going to be able to hear it. So even if you're not able to make it, Check it uh, following that as well. So, but today, you're going to hear from me, but ultimately, uh, may it be you hear from the Lord. I don't want you to hear from me. I want to hear from Jesus this morning. As we think about the grace of God, the high view of God, we were coming in this series lifting up our low view of God. The higher our view of God, the more our love for him grows, our worship of him grows. Everything revolves around our view of who he is. Are we seeing him as he is? And there's always more to understand of him. Always more for our view to be lifted up, uh, that we would stand more and more in awe of who he is and of what he has done. So uh, recently we were on a, a trip and we went through Emporium where we used to live, where we were uh, for 13 years. And as we were going through, you know, Anytime you visit a place that you had so much of your life in, it triggers all kinds of memories. And uh, as we were driving through, spending a little bit of time there, the memories were brought back. And one of the things that I was reminded of, just by just simple observation, was the beauty of the area. And the mountains are there, all surrounding emporiums in this little valley, and there's mountains everywhere. You can't go anywhere where there's not mountains in the fall, the beauty of the leaves turning, people would, would drive just up into that area just to be able to see the leaves. Then you have all of those animals, the deer, the bear. We had a bear run right between our house and the neighbor's house one time, a big bear. The elk, people drive all over, from all over the place to see the elk, and there you'd be driving around just, and there's elk, even the rattlesnakes. I know that's not something you would want to be, but you, you kind of like, oh, the fact that you're in an area where you had to like walk and make sure you weren't going to step on a rattlesnake. It's just something about that that's kind of cool in a weird way. And the beautiful streams. You drive almost everywhere you drive, there's a stream nearby. And I was reminded of all of that beauty. I was reminded of those early years of being there and how just in awe I was of the beauty. But you know, something happened over time. You begin to live in the same place, and you see the same things, and those things that are so amazing kind of turn into something that you, no, 
not on purpose, but you just kind of grow used to it, and the wonder and the awe and the marvel of it just kind of loses something a little bit. Nothing about that changed, but you just become kind of accustomed to it. Until somebody would come and visit, and they go, oh man, the mountains, they're amazing. Or they'd come in the fall, I love the leaves. Oh, we just drive so slow because we're just taking in all the views of the streams. And Oh, we saw this bear on the side of the road, and something that you just kind of took for granted was something that somebody for the first time was like, I've never seen a bear up close. And all of a sudden, your wonder kind of returns as you realize, wow, these are amazing things. You know, sometimes that can be how it is with grace. You know, we sing the song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. And the first time we, we come and we encounter the grace of God or we're new in our faith and we're understanding the grace of God, we are just blown away. It's like, wow, God, your grace is amazing. But the longer we walk with God, we may come to those places where we're like, yeah, I've sung that song like 400 times. And it's still a great song, but you just kind of like, you, you could just rattle off the words. Or you read about the grace of God. Or you hear of somebody talk about the grace of God, the Lord pouring out his grace. And you're like, yeah, yeah, grace of God. Even something so marvelous as the grace of God can become something that's just, yeah. This morning, maybe it's the first time you're going to hear about and you're going to really maybe even understand. Maybe you've heard about it, but maybe you've never really fully understood the grace of God. Maybe this morning is the first time that you're like, whoa, I never got this. This is amazing. The grace of God. Or maybe you've known the grace of God and it's just become one of those things that's just like, yeah, grace of God. Not because of anything you've done wrong. You've just been around it so often that this morning would be a fresh opportunity for us just to step back and take a, a real good look at the grace of God, that we might marvel once again, and that we might even encounter the grace of God and receive the grace of God afresh in a way that would cause us once again to have our view of him lifted up to worship. Tozer, as we've been looking at this series and from his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. I just want to share quickly what he says about grace at the beginning of this chapter on the grace of God. He says, in God, mercy, last week we talked about mercy, this week grace, and God, mercy and grace are one. But as they reach us, they are seen as two, related, but not identical. As mercy is God's goodness confronting human misery and guilt, so grace is his goodness directed toward human debt and demerit. It is by his grace that God imputes merit, or he, he gives and assigns and allows it to stand for merit where none previously existed and declares no debt to be where one had been before. Grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow benefits upon the undeserving. It is a self-existent principle inherent in the divine nature and appears to us as a self-caused propensity to pity the wretched, spare the guilty, welcome the outcast, and bring into favor those who were before under just 
disapprobation. Disapprobation, not one of those words we use often, but it's like heavy, heavy consequence due to something that is morally wrong. It's used to us as sinful men is to save us and make us sit together in heavenly places to demonstrate to the ages the exceeding riches of God's kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We benefit eternally by God's being just what he is. Because he is what he is, he lifts up our heads out of the prison house, changes our prison garments for royal robes, and makes us to eat bread continually before him all the days of our lives. This is our God, the one who is full of grace. I invite you to follow along as I would read Ephesians chapter 2 before we jump into this and look at at three actions to have our our view of God lifted up in this area of grace. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature or our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And the Lord add his blessing this morning to the reading of his word. We'll walk through this passage, verse by verse, together. Three actions to be able to have our view of God lifted in this area of grace. The first is to see the desperate need for God's grace. There are sermon notes in your bulletin you can fill in, but see the desperate need for God's grace. I've had a couple people already kind of see me walking around with stuff and going, oh no, what's he doing this morning? So I got an object lesson for us that everyone always doesn't quite know what to do when I'm pulling something, stuff out. But I want us to envision this morning that this is your life. This is you. This represents me. Represents all of us. Scriptures tell us that we once were. So Paul is writing to believers in the city of Ephesus, and he's writing to them, telling them what they once were. And so this isn't just true of what we were. This is true of what all humanity is. So it's not just me. It's not just you. It's all humanity shares this common reality, this common situation that we find ourselves in. And that situation is this, that we are, all humanity comes into this world dead. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. All of humanity's condition is dead, spiritually dead and headed toward eternal death in a very real place of conscious eternal separation and torment, hell. 
That is the destination of all human beings when they come in because of the sin of Adam and Eve. But we've all joined in on the party. We've all joined in on what put us in this place. All of you were dead in your transgressions. Think of transgressions as walking along and seeing a no trespassing sign on somebody's property. And you deciding, I know that there is a no trespassing sign, but I still am going to cross the line. I know it's not what I'm supposed to do. It's been posted. I know what no trespassing means. Some translations will say are trespasses and sins. It is still, it's a willful choice. I know what's wrong, and I'm going to do it anyway. Transgression or trespass. But there's also, he says, we are dead because of our, our sin. Sin comes from that concept of archery or, or a target, and you're missing the mark. You're trying, but you're missing the mark. It's not something that you're, you want to do. You are really trying to do it right and according to the standards of God, but you miss the mark. It's a sin. Paul says, all of you, all of you, all of us were dead in our transgressions and in our sins. When this has happened, our lives begin to just be filled up with gunk. But it doesn't stop just at dead. It's that we are also enslaved. We are also enslaved. Verse 2, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us followed the ways of the world, the, the system that is opposed to God. The ways of thought, the the values of a system opposed to God, the ways of the world that see Christ and oppose him, that oppose the ways and live in opposition to the ways of God and to the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Who is that? That is Satan. We believe that Satan is a very real force. He's not a mythological figure. He's not some idea that is representative of, of evil. He is the fallen angel Lucifer, who is the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the prince of this earth who rules this world. There's an idea here of enslavement. That we are enslaved to the ways of the world and that we are enslaved to the enemy. Whether we realize it or not, too. Whether we realize it or not, humanity's condition is enslavement. It's why we do missions, because there is a world that is dead, that there is a world that is enslaved. And because of this enslavement, it's full of gunk. But not only is this desperate need death and enslavement, but it's also objects of wrath. Also objects of wrath. Verse 3 says, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature or our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. With these realities, all of humanity gratifies the cravings of our flesh. Just think about this for a moment. I love potato chips. 
just love potato chips. The salty people could say, hey, you have a piece of cake or you have potato chips. And all day long, I'll push the piece of cake aside and say, give me the chips. But what do they say about Lay's potato chips? Bet you can't eat what? Just, do you know, do you know maybe this is a, not a recent one. Bet you can't eat just one. Bet you can't eat just one. That is like, I'm not even going to try to win that bet. Because as soon as I have one, it's two. It's three. And I always think, I'm going to just go one at a time. And go in small measure. But you know what happens by the end of it? It's like handfuls, and I'm like stuffing them in my mouth. I can't get enough. It's a desire. It's a craving that I have. For some people in that, it it may be a certain kind of food or a chocolate or something like that, or it's a salt. It's something that that there's a craving for it. And, and, And this has all kinds of dimensions all over our lives. Every area, whether it's, it's money or whether it's sex or whether it's food or whether it's pleasure or hobbies, all these kinds of things, we have these, these cravings that God built us with. But what happens is they get out of measure. Sinful flesh comes in and it distorts all this stuff. And something that would be perfectly fine to have a few potato chips turns into this thing that just, I crave it. And that's the way all of sin is. This is, what, this is what Paul is saying. There's these cravings. And what do you do? The word he uses, gratify. Gratify it. I'm going to make this craving happy. I'm going to fulfill this craving, this desire. And what happens is we become, and we are by nature, objects of the wrath of God. Our lives without Christ are really this. All those cravings and desires just spill out into all kinds of action. We are by nature objects deserving of the wrath of God. Do you see why we need the grace of God? How often, how often do we think about, if you're a believer in Jesus, how often do you think about what life was like before Christ? But along comes the grace of God. Along comes the grace of God. Look what verse 4 starts with. Verse 4 starts with this great word in the midst of this reality. And that word is but. But. Which leads us to a place of marveling at the riches of God. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. When we were dead, 
we were made alive. When we were dead, we were made alive. It's because of his great love, which we'll look at in two weeks. It's because of his rich mercy, which we looked at last week. It's because of his grace that we look at today. Later in this passage, there's kindness. All of these things work together because it's who God is in the fullness of his nature and his character. They're all connected. But God made us alive in Christ when we were dead. Friends, can the dead do anything for themselves? It's not a trick question. Can the dead do anything for themselves? No. The dead cannot. And so this is the amazing thing that God has done. Not when we were alive, not when we had gotten our lives together, not when we had made ourselves look good enough before God, not when we had worked hard enough, not when we had tried hard enough, not when we had cleaned up enough. No, it was when we were at our lowest, worst point. When we were dead... When we were dead, God made us alive (laughs) with Christ. We sang about our living hope, the Lord Jesus, the one who came. And on the cross, though perfect, and the Son of God took all of this upon himself. Took all of mine and all of yours, all of the world's this upon himself on the cross. And the punishment, the wrath of God that was due it because we are by, na- by nature what? Objects of wrath. He took the wrath of God upon himself on the cross so that we'll see how to, to access this in a few moments so that all of this begins to be dumped out. <laughs> and he makes us alive. And he begins to wash us. He does this work of washing at the cross. And not only does he wash us at the cross, not only does he make us alive with him, but he also raises us up and seats us with Christ. And God, verse 6, raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Grace doesn't just stop at making us alive. Grace doesn't just stop at cleaning us up. Grace doesn't just stop at getting us to heaven one day. Grace, in the moment of our salvation, takes us to a place where though physically we are here on this earth, spiritually we are seated at the right hand of the Father in Christ in the heavenly realms. We are clean. We are forgiven. Though spiritually dead, we are now brought to life through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. And we are given a position (laughs) that we by no means ever deserve. The right hand of the Father in Christ in the heavenly realms. Just think about that for a moment. Everything, every blessing that Christ has, (laughs) we have access to. Everything that is in Christ is given to us. It's not just forgiveness. It is the fullness of life 
in Christ. Look for a moment with me, just flip, a, for me, it's flip a page back to Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 3. What are some of these things that happen because we are in Christ at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realms? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Have you seen those shirts? Blessed. This takes it to a whole new level. For he chose us in him before the world was even created to be both holy and blameless, set apart and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us ahead of time to be adopted, brought in to his family as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Don't think for a moment that God did this because he had to. He did this according to his good pleasure and according to his will. It brought him joy and pleasure to do this work through Christ. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one in love, in the one he loves. In him we have redemption. We've been bought back from the one, the ruler of the, the air, Satan. We've been brought out, bought out of enslavement. We've been redeemed and brought into relationship with God. The price has been paid in the blood of Christ through his blood. Forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will. He didn't just say, guys, you don't get to know what I'm doing. He tells us what he's doing. He lets us in on his will. He lets us in on his purposes to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head who is Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of, the will, of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And we were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Included in him. And having believed the Holy Spirit was given to you, you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Grace gives us an inheritance. Until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Does that sound like anything dead people deserve? Does that sound like anything enslaved people deserve? Does that sound like anything that objects of wrath deserve? And yet this is what he's given to us. This is what he has given to us in Christ. So that we might, verse 7, display the riches of God's grace. In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. For it is by grace you have been saved. Friends, God doesn't just stop with cleaning us up. But he takes care of all this stuff. And he gives us something new. He gives us the riches of his grace. The riches of his grace. And you know, just how all that gunk spilled over, 
our God's not a cheapskate. Overflowing riches of grace. Overflowing riches of grace. So that in the coming ages, it's been about 2,000 years since Paul has written this, year after year, decade after decade, century after century, this has been expressed in Christ. And for all of eternity, when he talks about the ages, he's talking about all of eternity. For all of eternity, the riches of his grace will be expressed through us. Friends, we are trophies. We are trophies of the riches of God's grace. Story is told of a professor, the actual, actually the head of theology at Cambridge University by the name of Reverend Paul Gibson, who, when he retired, the school said, we're going to have a portrait painted of you. And at his retirement celebration, they, they unveiled this portrait that had, been, uh, that had been painted of him. And as he expressed his thanks, he gave a well-deserved compliment to the artist. He said this. He said, in the future, people are not going to look at this picture and ask, who's that guy? They're going to ask, who painted that portrait? They're not going to ask, who is that guy? They're going to ask, who painted that portrait? What was his point? His point is this. All of this is not so that people look at you and go, man, you are an amazing person. The riches of his grace are poured out upon us so that people would say, who poured this out on you? So that for ages to come, all of creation and all of the heavenly realms and even the depths of hell will be able to say, there's a trophy of the grace of God. My life, your life, the lives of every person who has received the grace of God, who has been redeemed, who has been bought with the blood of Jesus, will be looked at and say, there's another trophy of the grace of God. Oh, the depths of the riches of the grace of God. Look at that. Look at what it was, and now look at what it is. We do have this tendency to make it about me, <laughs> but grace and the gospel is all about him. The riches of his grace expressed to us in kindness. So what do we do with all of this? How do we, in the marveling of it, how do we now get it? We receive the riches of God's grace by grace through faith. Verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. The riches of his grace are received by faith. That sounds way too easy <laughs> But if I have to do something to receive grace, other than simply believe and receive, then it really is about me. There are some theological positions that will say that grace is earned in cooperation with God, and there are certainly things in we, we place our faith in Christ. But to say, I have to do 50 and God does 50, and therefore we get 100, that's not grace. 
Grace is we were dead. And he made us alive. He gave us grace even to have faith, to believe. And our recognition of our need, which is that whole idea that we once were dead, that we once were enslaved, that we once were objects of wrath, and looking and putting our faith in Christ, knowing that we have been raised up and seated with him as a result, that is what releases grace to us. Our faith, which is even a gift of grace, our response to him. This is a gift, and it is not earned. Not by works. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Paul's clear that this isn't from ourselves. It's a gift to us in Christ Jesus, not earned in any way. Because if it was earned in any way, we can now boast about it. We can say, look what I did. It's all about But friends, you and I both know that gifts need to be paid for. Gifts are not free. Somebody pays for them. It's free to the receiver, but it's not free to the giver. And so the gift of God has been paid for through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was one way for this to be paid for, and that's Jesus. We receive these, and we have this amazing, it doesn't just get us to heaven right away. <laughs> Our destiny is there. Positionally, we are in, seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realms, but until the day that we are with him, we have works to do. He gives us works to do. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. These riches of grace are not just to give us salvation, they're to give us a new purpose. Not to follow the ways of the world and the devil, but to have good works prepared for us to engage in, prepared by God. Even as Mara shared, there's works out there for us. There's ways to be on mission. He has works prepared, and so we receive those works and engage in them. It's part of his grace. We display the riches of his grace through the works we do with and for him, for his glory. I want to take a moment just as we would wrap up with this. This is, if you have received Jesus as your savior, this is your position. This is who you are, seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realms. This is what is true of you in your position and standing before God. You may not feel this, but this is true. And so if any of you ever doubt, if you've come to faith in Christ, if any of you ever doubt, do I have worth, value, all those kinds of things, understand this. This is where you are at. In Christ, this is reality. However, Have you ever felt like though you have received the grace of God for salvation, and though all of that that was there was, is true, that on a day-to-day -day living, that you may just kind of feel like that? 
I, I think if we were all honest, whether we feel like that now or we have felt like that at one point, we've all felt in that place where we're like, yeah, I know what may be true of me. I know what God may say, but you know what? To be honest, when I look at my life, this is kind of how I feel. I feel like I'm not overflowing with the riches of the grace of God. Maybe there are still some of you who are even listening today and you're like, if I'm honest, my life is still where all that gunk was earlier. I don't think I've ever received the grace of God in Christ. And so today, if that's the place where you find yourself, just know this is for everyone. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. It doesn't matter what you believe. If you come to Christ and you say, Jesus, I'm coming to you I'm recognizing this is what I look like. This is what my life is like. I I don't want that. I want what was all piled up before. That's what I want my life to be about. I want my life to be free of all that junk. I want Jesus. I want Jesus. It can't be. There's no one, no one, who is too far from the grace of God. No one. But you may be already having received it, and you feel like this. Maybe it's you feel like this because you've come to Jesus, and you know that you needed all that poured in, all that dumped out, all that poured in, but since then, you've kind of been like, now I got it from here. God, I got it from here. Thanks for emptying me out, cleaning me up. Thanks for making me that. But on a day-to-day basis, I'm going to work to get it done. I'm a worker. You kind of skip to verse 10 without verses 1 to (laughs) 9. And you're like, on the works, God, I'm going to do it. And you feel dry and weary, and you feel like, where's the grace of God in this? Can I encourage you with the fact that we need the grace of God every day as much as we did for salvation? We need to live with the grace of God and he is willing every day to pour his grace out afresh. On our own, we can do nothing. So maybe it's I've just been working at this myself. Maybe, and I think this is where a lot of people are at. That's about all you feel worthy of. This is about all you feel worthy of. And that might even be more that might even be generous. God, are you even sure about that? Like you look at your life and you're like, man, I got a bunch of stuff. Even if that's true of me in heaven, I see my life in God. I don't think that I'm worthy. I don't think I'm worthy of this overflow of stuff. I think what I'm worthy of is just a couple of them. In other words, God, I know better about your grace than me. I'm not worthy of the overflow. Friends, Jesus declares, the Father declares that because of the work of Christ, you are worthy of his grace poured out day in and day out for you to be overflowing and satisfied with the grace of God. You're worthy of it. Not because you've done it, but because he's done it. And he declares it. You are worthy. You are worthy.
And there's one more that I believe just the Lord had brought to my mind in this. Reasons we don't receive. And that is we're just way too busy to stop and to receive. We're going at 100 miles an hour. We've got this and that. And the Father is saying, I'm ready to pour my grace out afresh on you. And you're like, I'll be with you in a minute. Be with you in a minute, God. And then even what happens is over time, we're pouring out grace to others. And so what we've received, we, we give a little bit of grace to others. And we give a little bit of grace to others. And we give some more grace to others. And, and before we know it, we're like, there's nothing left. You know, the altar doesn't always have to be a place where it's because we're full of sin. The altar can be a place where we just come to receive fresh the outpouring of the grace of God by the Holy Spirit and filled up to meet Friends, the Lord has declared that position of overflowing if you've received Christ to be yours. But oh, how he desires for us to live in that place here on this earth. To display not just in our position but in our experience the riches of the grace of God. as we would close in worship this morning, it's just an opportunity for us just to receive from him. So it may be that you need to receive, you're hearing the message and you're like, I, I, I want the grace of God again. Or maybe for the first time, I've never received it. Lord, come, clean me out, dump it all out, wash me. Maybe for others, it's just, man, how amazing this grace is and I've been missing out on it. I'm coming back. I need your grace poured out. You can come to pray at the altar. You could receive prayer. You can grab somebody. You can be with somebody on, or you can spend some time on your own. But can I just encourage this? So often we miss what God wants to do because he desires to use his people to be dispensers of the grace. And sometimes we don't receive it because we have not humbled ourselves and come before another person and say, would you pray with me that I would receive it? I would receive it. And so even this morning, it may be an opportunity as the worship team leads us in this closing song for you just to come and just to say, or grab somebody that you know and say, hey, would you pray with me that I would receive afresh the grace of God? His grace. The riches of his grace. We marvel at it. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your grace. We receive your grace. May there in these closing moments, may there be opportunities for those who are hungry and are saying, yes, Lord, I need that outpouring of your grace. No matter the need. We recognize that it's not just to overcome sin, it's 
Also, your grace is sufficient for us in ministry and in service. Your grace is sufficient for us as we walk through sorrow and suffering. Your grace is sufficient for us in all of these things. So whatever we need your grace for. Holy Spirit, do that work in us. We come to you for you are the giver of grace. We come to receive it. In Jesus' name.